Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Zuleika Strassner, who is the founder and CEO of Zero, which you can find at zerogrocery.com. They provide zero-waste groceries delivered fast, all to fit with their mission of removing single-use plastics from the food system. And the journey to get started is pretty simple. You order your groceries online, they deliver to your home, you enjoy those groceries, and then you return the jars and help the planet. Very simple, very fast, efficient method. I love what they're doing with this company and can't wait for it to expand and grow and continue on with the success they've already had. In this episode, Zuleika talks about her own story and how her personal mission to go single-use plastic-free led to the start of Zero. It's a fascinating story. She goes through the fundraising side of it and how the difficulties with that and 260-plus meetings she took to get the six checks she needed to get this business really off of the ground, how she's grown it since, hiring a team around her, all the startup challenges associated with this type of logistical business as well. And I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. It takes all about 30 seconds. And the Weekly Grind, my weekly newsletter with tips, tools, and strategies for growing a business can be found at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Without further ado, here is Zuleika Strassner, the founder and CEO of Zero. Zuleika, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's exciting. Yes. So glad to have you on here. And obviously you have a huge ambitious mission with, with Zero. How did this company get started in the first place? Uh, sure thing. Zero is the first plastic-free, single-use plastic-free online grocery store. Um, and I am by no stretch of the imagination uh, a, an environmentalist, I would say. <laughs> In fact, my husband would get on me because I loved plastic wrap. Like that was my thing. I would plastic wrap Ooh. something like 10 times before putting it in the fridge. And uh, we went on a honeymoon to this beautiful island called Little Corn. It's in the Caribbean. It's part of Nicaragua. Uh, and it's just, it's beautiful. It's a tiny island, population of a thousand people. But unfortunately, it is littered in plastic trash, particularly on the east and west of the island. And after two and a half weeks of like literally looking at this stuff floating in the water and speaking to locals and understanding that none of it was produced by them. Um, a lot of it is washing up into their shallow, warm waters. I took the step as I came back to San Francisco, where I live, to go plastic free. And I spent a year and a half orthodoxly plastic free. And one, it's a great conversation starter. But two, um, I really started to dig into this question of how do we get folks up and down this country, their everyday household items from the food that they eat to their bathroom products, 100% single use plastic free. And I wanted to make that possible. And today we're at zerogrocery.com with over 600 items in our store. That is incredible. But going back to even that experience then of you trying to be like plastic free, like what was that experience like in that year plus? Uh, really, really difficult, uh, particularly, like I said, for, for me, I mean, I am for mostly a lazy consumer. I'm, I, you know, at the time I was working like eight to eight, all the hours that God gives and you know, you're busy, you have a life to lead. And like I said, I mean, I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't doing beach cleanups in my spare time. I hadn't <laughs> studied environmentalism, uh, which is great. It just wasn't the life that I was leading. And yeah. I started by getting rid of all the plastic in my own home. My, my husband thought that I, 
I've gone mad because I've gone from one end of the extreme to the other. And <laughs> it began with getting jars and containers and I would go to stores. Now, there are some stores that have big bulk sections and those were really easy for me to shop. But there were other stores where I would go in with my own container, you know, think like Whole Foods, Safeway, and I would have to basically beg them to put cheese or meat or whatever it was into these containers. And I would spend hours sourcing, you know, there was no powdered sugar in San Francisco, but there was a store in Oakland that had powdered sugar. So I would go all the way to Oakland to get that one powdered sugar. The rule was nothing in single-use plastic could enter our home. Nothing. Wow. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I mean, I've, I've, to my own admission, I've cried in, you know, Rainbow Grocery several times trying to funnel, you know, quinoa or whatever it is into a into a jar or container it's it's hard it takes a lot longer you know a shop that would normally take me 30 minutes was taking me three hours and oh, all wow. I was trying to do was just be a little bit better around the planet and I and I respond well to things that are tangible so if I can see my trash can going down if I can actually see my consumption changing that helps to reinforce my behaviors and plastic is something for me that you can literally see it's very different from trying to reduce your carbon emissions or trying to affect climate from kind of a more macro perspective. This is something you can see immediately in your own home. Yeah. And from that experience, then, I mean, at what point does this turn into, I'm going to start a company around this to help solve this problem? Um, a lot of people obviously wanted to talk to me about the experience. And a lot of them would say, Z, I love what you're doing, but I'm just not going to do that, which I knew. And I was only doing it because I was pushing myself to live this lifestyle that was not a natural fit for me. <laughs> um, so when people said that, I really resonated with that. And I would start to dig into, okay, but like, what, what, what do you need that gives you some scaffolding around your life? And I started to think through and, and talk to people about what would get you to go plastic free. You're not willing to go to bulk stores the way I am and carry all these jars and containers, but what are some of the things that you're concerned about? What are some of the small changes you can make? People would not only talk to me about the environment, they'd talk to me about health. They were really worried about the rise of cancers in their families. They were worried about BPA plastics and the toxicity of microplastics in their, in their, in their food and their fish and their water streams. And I'm a very curious person. I've always done something. I've, you know, whether it was like sold juices on a store when I was 15 with my mother <laughs> and my dad owns an import export business in the UK where I'm originally from. He buys and sells nuts and seeds and distributes them in the UK. So I grew up in a, in an entrepreneurial environment. But at that time, and now we're going back to, yeah, like 2017, around that time, um, I just started like really just like messing around and having fun. I'm, I live in a building. Um, it's a pretty large building. It has about 500 apartments in it. Um, and something like 80% of the building, of course, because this is Silicon Valley, are Facebookers. My husband and I are, 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 were a Facebook family at that time. And so I had a lot of neighbors and I had a lot of people around me. And so I just started doing stuff. I would, oh, I would go clean their houses. I would do their grocery shopping for them. I would then interview them. I would try to turn them zero waste. I would start switching things out. So I would buy them a box of, of cleaning products and I would take them the cleaning products and then the next week I would start changing out those cleaning products or as they ran out of cleaning products, I started switching them out for reusable bags. <laughs> To the point where now I was buying like 55 gallon drums of like liquid soap that I had in my apartment so that I could distribute it basically within my within my building. And um, the, the lesson there is 
is you got to get on the ground really quick because the minute you start talking to people and, 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 and giving them product or asking them questions or interviewing them. And I was also doing like crazy stuff, like putting them on subscriptions, changing their subscriptions, doing what I think is called growth hacking uh, for the most part, pissing some people off. Uh, most people were very patient with me, to be fair. Um, but all of that was very early data for what became a pre-seed later on. Um, I had... I had nothing else really going. Like, it's not like I had, I didn't have savings. I didn't have any money. Um, so I needed to do something tangible. I definitely had no technology built at that point. So I just, I, and I talk a lot as you, as you can see. So I would just talk to a lot of people. And if they like something, I want to know why. If they don't like something, I want to know why. With that discovery process and talking to these people, getting feedback on these types of things, what were some of the questions you were asking or what were you trying to like, figure out from this? I wanted to know, like, I really just wanted to holistically understand these families and they were all quite different. Um, at one point I had like, I think it was like 136 that was signed up and I was actively servicing certainly in the tens, like 30, 40 different families at various points um I was uh, you know I wanted to know how they lived like I wanted to know like what were you shopping what were you eating um how how do you think about um some of these issues like are you 100% organic for example like if you buy organic produce do you buy everything else organic and if you don't where does that line end so where 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 do you move from shopping organic produce to eating pop tarts those types of consumer <laughs> behaviors were really, really interesting to me. And I saw that obviously in my own life because um, there are things that may look like a paradox to most people, but actually they're not. Like I, I eat meat. I'm not a vegan. I enjoy Korean food. So I'll go for a Korean barbecue, but I'm lactose intolerant. So I drink uh, oat milk, right? So that's that type of dichotomy was very interesting for me to understand inside of these families' homes. Um, how were they spending money? What, what were they budgeting? Were they not budgeting? Did they plan their groceries and their home purchases? Who were they using? Were they using Amazon for some things? Were they going to the store? Why were they going to the store? Just experientially trying to understand and, and profile and segment folks as much as I could to understand just what was going on in their lives, in their homes, and then look, start looking for patterns. Um, and start looking for some of the same stuff. And what happened to me very early on at that point is there was one common thread that was really clear to me, which was they did care about the environment. They did care about their health, but these ideals were not binary. So they kind of cared, but they didn't want to spend more money. They were time poor and maybe something fitted better into their lifestyle or their belief system, but they defaulted on something because it was convenient. So I could lexically start ordering, okay, what was the most important things to them? Were they being primarily driven by price point? Were they being driven by price point then convenience? Or was it just convenience at all costs first? And they were willing to pay a premium for that convenience. So these were the types of things I started to dig in on. And honestly, I started to focus on how far could I push the boat? Could I? Yeah. I was trying to get them to uptake new habits and behaviors, right? So I've given you a box of cleaning products, let's say. 
And now I'm switching those cleaning products out for like a, a refillable soap dispenser in your bathroom. Are you going to let me come into your home and like refill that soap dispenser? Are you willing to have a new brand that you've maybe never heard before or no brand at all? Do you care what the brand is if it just smells nice? So these were the types of real details. <laughs> I was, and what I found was people were actually pretty amenable um, if the price was right and price is... Um, really the biggest determinant in grocery is grocery is a very price sensitive market. And I saw that really play out in front of my eyes, but people were really willing to basically take the stuff that I was giving them. If I could build a sense of trust in the, the selections I was making in the curation of what I was doing, they were willing to switch out from a particular brand or a particular um, product. And then there were other products that they were not willing to switch out. If somebody loved a particular ketchup, that was the ketchup they wanted. They didn't want to touch any other ketchup. Um, and you start to build a map, kind of a heat map of um, what are some of those products? What are what I call kind of like cult American products that most families uh, wanted? And what where were the areas that they were willing to make a shift or a change? From that then, so you all this research, you're doing all this different kind of testing to see this, which is which is great and a great way to do customer discovery. With your with zero then, with actually like creating the website and having this, how did you get to that that point? And then I'm I'm really curious about even getting to that point then of having this actual kind of site and business up then too. Um in my case, that period of discovery came to an end, a de decisive end. So I was I consciously knew that I couldn't just run on and very organically just grow my business. I had to stop what I was doing. I had to go back to the drawing board and I had to say, okay, what is the thing that we actually now need to build? Based off of this, I think it was about six months, maybe nine months that I did this. Now, not only was I doing this customer discovery work, I was also digging into the industry itself. So that meant really understanding supply chain. Um, I was talking to manufacturers and CPG brands. I was now trying to understand their issue on the other side. And today, um, you know, we have a, a, a marketplace essentially with a lot of different items from a lot of different brands. And a lot of the reason of why we exist and why we are proving to be successful is the partnerships that we're forming um, with various brands and companies and those brands that my customers demand today. But in those early days, I had to start to understand what was stopping a company from going plastic free. Again, was it a cost issue? Um, what were they concerned about? How were they going to grow over the next 10, 20 years? How does the supply chain work? What technologies are there, if any? And um, everything was rooted around how do we use technology to one, solve this huge crisis and plastic really is a crisis um, and not only do we use the technology to solve that but how do we use the technology to get people what they need in the most effective efficient and, and, and cost effective way um, so I had mark, market research on both sides and it's that that I brought together and when I um, it was actually Charles Hudson a precursor who I met in December of 2018 when I sat with him um, I was able to say, hey, like, this is what I've been doing. This is a hiatus that I've had. This is what now needs to be built off of the basis of this. Um, we will be the largest sustainability platform in the US. We will be the very first company servicing folks with single use plastic free groceries. Um, but 
there is this really exciting, interesting opportunity on the back end um, as we partner up with other companies, as we work to have product packed or repacked into a particular format, usually into glass jars and silicone bags. Um, here's the technology that we can imbue within the industry to enable this thing to happen. And from a customer's perspective today even, it's all very seamless. They come to our site, they come to zerogrocery.com and they see it's actually close to 650 products today. And they just can build a basket, check that basket out pretty much and get delivery the next day. It's really that simple. But there's all this technology at work in the background and right. to make this happen. And he understood that very succinctly, as did other investors that, that, that came in later. But in that early stage, you just have a mix of research and a real <laughs> strong hunch over what this thing kind of needs to be. Remembering it's going to change, like it's going to go through. And for some companies, it radically, really radically changes. And, and even now it's changed significantly in the, in the, um, from what it was in the early days. Um, when we first went out to market, but it was no longer kind of me just hacking from my apartment and, you know, working with friends <laughs> or whoever would, was willing to help me to kind of to get it off the ground. I needed, we needed that period of hiatus at the time. Yeah. And I have a couple of questions from that. So, I mean, roughly kind of ballpark, how many people do you think you talked to during that period? You mean customers or investors? Yeah. Yeah. Customer discovery side of things. Um how many did I well I had like a hundred and something as I mentioned like just waitlisted because what was happening is I was sharing my phone number people would just text me so people were sharing my phone number around and they were requesting this supposed underground service that I had started which was like I said depending on when you got me it could have been anything like it could have been me mowing yeah. your lawn it could have been me cleaning your house it could have been me delivering products um but all in all I spoke to a good couple of hundred people at that time and I had a good like 30 or 40 that I was actively doing things for. Um, I, I mean, people would call me up and say like, you know, can you bring, can, like they'd call me up and be like, are you kind of like Instacart? Like, can you go to the store and pick these things up for me? They didn't really know what it was. People would call me up and ask me to wash their windows. So there was a lot of, there was a <laughs> lot of uh, word on the street about what this thing, kind of this weird ninja service was where this, this girl turns up, this, this strange British girl turns up and just does stuff for you. Um <laughs> And She's a lot like, oh, of them, yeah, get it, get it yeah. all done. That's crazy. And a lot of them didn't know that it was being done in lieu of turning them zero waste and, and doubling yes. down on that particular problem. Yes. And one of the reasons why I asked that is just to give people an idea of, you know, the customer discovery process. Some people think, oh, I've, I've talked to like 10, 20 people. And like to hear you say exactly what I thought you were going to probably say is like talking to maybe a couple hundred uh, to get those perspectives and insights you need to then be able to go to the investors and then transitioning to that investors. Take me through your, your first fundraising and kind of feeling this because you said you didn't have any money at first yeah, on, no. on that side of things. I couldn't bootstrap. I had I literally had no money. I had no savings. I still have no savings. So um, at the time, and here's the other thing. Customers are not going to tell you, or future customers are not going to tell you what to build. They don't know what to build. They don't know what it is that they need. I have to prescribe the thing in the market that is going to solve for that particular problem. No one was going to come to me and say, well, you know what? Based on everything you've done with me in the last four weeks, you need to go and build this online grocery store that looks this way, build this technology. That wasn't going to happen. And um, I guess I took, a, uh, you know, um, the Apple approach in some ways of <laughs> believing that I could and my team could figure out what it was and then have an uptake of new habits in the market and near enough prescribe what the consumer needs without the consumer really knowing what they need. 
but there were certain behaviors that they were enacting. Once I started fundraising, I mean, um, I had got to the point where I I didn't need to work another job. I had left my full-time job working in DC in April of that year. I had to take up another um, short-term position to kind of keep me going for a few more months. And September, October of that year hit, 2018. And I was, for the very first time, able to not do anything else except focus on this. Um, one of the the biggest learnings for me at that time was it's really hard to do this if you're not dedicating every minute of every waking day. You can work for a period of time where you're doing it in the evenings and you're doing it at the weekends. But in my life, I had underestimated the value of stability. I was in a position where, you know, I'm a woman in my early thirties, I'm married, my, you know, I can make rent, I can feed myself. Therefore I could dedicate my time to this. As I went out into the market, I got a rude awakening very, very early on where people and folks were enamored by who I was and, you know, my background, you know, I had a couple of the badges. I had been to Oxford. Great. But I had, you know, I'd worked in VC for a little while, but, you know, I hadn't worked at Facebook and Google. I wasn't the, you know, on paper, the founder that I think many would either expect or, or think is going to build this and even if you think about like online grocery stores and online grocery tech um and supply chain tech has um i don't know i, I just guess it hasn't been built by somebody quite like me or with my background <laughs> or with my experiences um and sure. early on i would meet angels some who've since come back to me and said z like you've proven me wrong <laughs> but who'd said to me like look at this company look at that company z um they have everything on paper like they are it the founders are it the company is it and they're really struggling what makes you think with no experience in in handling product on the ground moving product on the ground dealing with this level of operations that you can do this um and i did a lot of meetings and um, but i was incessant i'm still incessant but at that time i i mean i did i think it was 263 i, I wrote a medium post i think it was 263 pitch meetings i did um, to get the six initial checks. That was six checks that made up 500K. That was the first tranche of money that I raised. And Charles Hudson, um, there were two initial angels, well, two initial checks. One was from Charles Hudson at Precursor, um, who changed my life um, and is the reason this company is in existence today because he invested in us the largest check at that time. Um, and yeah oh my god incredible incredible we can get into that and there was another um, angel um who i met uh, a, a well-known british angel who i met at a party around that same time and on the spot he said i'm in like i'm investing and he invested as well wow. um and those two that those two moments happened you know within i think about a week of each other um and um and and yeah and you know i i was kind of I was tired by the time I had met Charles. I remember meeting him um, in the mission in a coffee shop. Um, my husband was actually around the corner in a bookstore and I sat with Charles and it was so different from any of the other interactions I had because where Precursor and Charles are so good is they invest early. And a lot of folks say right. they invest early, but we were early. It was just me. And this bit of research that I had and a very strong conviction and enough data. And he didn't ask me the kind of, 
to begin with. He didn't ask me the very detailed questions. He focused on just getting to understand me, getting to know me. What is driving me? What, where am I from? I mean, you're really taking a bet on the founder that early on as well, right? As well as the idea, but you're oh, really yeah. taking a bet on the founder, right? Who's just sat in front of you with nothing. And he, you know, I was telling him things that I wouldn't normally talk about in these pitch meetings, or he made me very comfortable. Um, so we were able to have a, a session that felt more like ideation than me trying to convince him to give me money because I was going to build something with it that was going to, you know, change my life and his life. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I learned a lot from that experience and we continued to talk and, you know, he is an investor, but he's also a friend. Um, and I, I didn't realize at the time, but what I had built was a really solid foundation of investors who um, have trusted me, who've trusted my vision, who've trusted the way that I run this company and have been there for me and for the company when needed as needed. But we raised that 500K. I remember I, I left and I flew back to London for the Christmas period, kept chatting with Charles and, um, and he was in. And uh, I didn't have a company, like I wasn't incorporated. <laughs> I didn't have anything. So it was like, oh, okay, I need to like do something now. Now we're going to become like a big girl. Now we're going to become like a, a real company, not just me and my apartment cliche, but like me just like doing all this random stuff in in, um, in Redwood City. <laughs> so, um, and then, it, and then, and now it got serious. Yeah. And I'm curious, like to your point, then it got serious because you, you raised half a million dollars. And what, what did that look like <laughs> from a perspective of like, okay, what were some of those next steps you knew you had to take once you had raised the money? Well, I was very ready. So, you know, after 263 pitch meetings, oh, I was yeah. ready. So not only was I able to articulate at the time that I needed these funds. I had a very, very clear plan. And I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a highly strategic and organized person. I came from politics in the UK. And if you're going to win elections, you've got to be really strategic and really well organized. And I also feel like I understand people. Or I understand what's driving them. Whether I agree with them or not, it doesn't matter. I just, I try to understand people. And at that time, I had a pretty comprehensive plan of what did we need to do to launch? Um and get to the first roughly 100 customers remember i was starting yeah. from scratch again right but that those those former folks some of them came back but now now i was i had a new service in the market essentially right it was no longer me with my text message line um so i had a plan of who i needed to hire how much money i was going to spend what type of space requirements if any did we have um what roughly were the first few products that we needed um just to kind of get up and running. And I think we closed funding in March of 2019. We incorporated in like January, 2019, all the funds closed around March, like somewhere between January and March, if I remember correctly. And um, we were in the market launched with a beta at that time in wow. June. And my first hire was made in May. Um, I knew that we had to get to market really fast. Um, at that time, it was still too early to build any technology. I wasn't about to sink this 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 small amount of money that I had raised into hiring a couple of really expensive engineers. Um, and I'm fortunate that I'm married to an, a very accomplished software engineer and, 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 and his advice was was invaluable at that time. But I wasn't about to 
just start building random and like tech that yeah. I didn't need. I needed to get a product into market as quickly as possible. We were still in a very, very early phase and it's incremental, right? So now we were in a beta stage that ran from June all the way till December. And finally, it was actually November, November 4th, 2019 is when we actually launched as a service available across the whole Bay Area to anyone and everyone as a service that they could shop with next day delivery. Um, and so I was able to tell Charles at that time, you know, um, here's the kind of first few hires I'm going to make. Here's the pipeline I already have for those hires. Um, here's how much I think I'm going to, what I'm going to burn. Here's, here's just what it's going to look like for the next six, nine, 12 months. Um, and then I, as soon as I got the funds, I started to execute. And the first thing I did was start to build a team. I needed somebody who knew this game because <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I needed somebody who knew like online yeah. grocery and who'd worked and scaled inside of one of those companies. And I was very fortunate to meet Shauna Hainer, who is our head of operations. Um, she was at Instacart. She was there for nearly seven years, I think, when I when I when I met her. Um, and again, you know, she had a vibe and spent time together and got to know each other. Um, and as she was coming in, I had our first space and it was just me in the space. So there was about two or three weeks where it was just me by myself. I remember having like fridges delivered and, you know, just starting to get the space up and running. And it was a very, very small space of a couple of thousand square feet. Um, it was a, it was a lease I took just for one year because I knew we only needed it for one year. And we and, and, and I and I hired her and she came in and we just started executing. We started with 48 original SKUs in the store. And we had this very specific strategy to go after folks that lived in large scale apartment buildings, because I had a lot of um, learnings from that, yeah. right, of if I could approach certain communities and I could start to build community. See, I didn't know a lot about moving product on the ground, but I knew a lot about community and building community. And so that's where we that's where we started. And um we 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 started gaining customers one by one by one and servicing them and even in those early days the service was very different i mean again like we were doing in this beta period like we were turning up to people's apartments we were doing we were literally like refilling products <laughs> in their apartments still for them we were like so it was still part it was still there was there some of that early kind of 2018 life that I lived bled into the early days because we still needed more data we still didn't have enough data to really understand what it would it take to say okay we're open for business order anything and everything and we can deliver it to you tomorrow we still were not at that place yeah and one of the things that I want to go back to hiring a person that was at Instacart how did you convince mm -hmm. them to join your company like, here I have this small company just raised funding come join me like what was the pitch for her then yeah, I um, I cold messaged her on LinkedIn, um, <laughs> as I had done to a few other people, but she was somebody that really stood out to me and I really wanted her to be on this ride with me. Um, truth be told, when, when Shauna and I met, um, we just had a lot of fun. Like we laughed <laughs> a lot. Um, and she was just cool. Like she had a lot of insights and I really respected the work that she had done. And again, like, she she knew things I didn't know she had skills I didn't have and I think she looked at me and thought okay this is different from any of the other cold messages I've got and she there, there were those who were scared by what I was doing or just they liked it but they couldn't make the leap and the commitment to do it and 
she made that commitment and that leap because um, she really believed in the product. She really believed in what I was doing. And she had a lot of experience in the seven years that she had been at Instacart. And she she lives and breathes this industry. She lives and breathes food um, and the value of on like online groceries and um, was very interested in the environmental piece of what we were doing. So we had just a real vibe and it was a risk for me. It was a risk for her, but like, <laughs> we just were like, let's do this. Like, let's, let's make it happen. And um, Shauna, like others that came in early on, I was very clear to them of, I don't have all the answers. That's why I need you. <laughs> and, um, and we're in it together. Like, it's not mine. It's not my baby. I didn't, I, I don't, I don't have all the answers. I just started it. And we're going to get more people. And with each person that comes in, we have genuine ownership, ownership in the company and ownership over the work. And um, there are there are folks like me who I, are underdogs. We've, we, we're a group of under, truly underdogs. And I knew that, like me, if I could give folks, not just Shauna, others who've come in as well. You know, we have an incredible um, operations manager, warehouse manager called Yolanda, also came from Instacart. Davis, Rao, our head of BD, same kind of thing. I knew that if these folks were given more rope than they've also had, more of a platform, more responsibility than they've had previously, they're really going to achieve some big stuff as they like really step up. Because that's what I was doing. I was also being given a, a, an opportunity that I didn't have before. So I was stepping up. So we were all experiencing it in the same way um, at a particular moment in our lives and our careers. Because fundamentally, somebody who's apathetic to what you're doing or doesn't seek that opportunity is just not going to be interested in doing the work. This is work early on that requires you to really roll up your sleeves. And I didn't even understand what that meant. Like really get down dirty, like delivering. We were fixing the van or we were, you know, <laughs> going and picking up product from farms. We were, you know, you're coming in with titles don't matter. You're coming in and you're going to do absolutely anything and everything it takes to get us to the next level. That means sales and marketing and HR or whatever needs to happen, logistics. And in, you know, in that early group, we were a group of initially six of us. And the six of us were doing everything. Every delivery we were still doing, we were on. I myself only stopped doing deliveries um, like when I say stopped, I mean, like I still go on them once in a while, but I mean like day in, day out doing deliveries um, earlier this year. Wow. And it's now July. And I think I stopped doing that in about February, February, March time is when, when I stopped doing the deliveries. I was still out because we had so much <laughs> with a carload of stuff doing deliveries and receiving product at two, three in the morning. Yeah, and I want to I want to go through the logistics behind that in a second. But but one thing just to kind of even uh, go back to you mentioned kind of the, a few of the things you were doing to get customers at first. But I want to have a little bit deeper into that. What were some of the other things you were doing early on, especially when you had just had this launch of, of like getting your first customers? Because that's always a huge thing of getting those initial initial customers on the platform. What were you doing? Well. Um you got to do the really unscalable stuff because you don't have money. Like you, you have $500,000 where you can't go do Instagram ads and Facebook ads. And, you know, even for us, we've only been doing that for months at this point. Um, and our business does not rely on them today. I mean, the majority of our business is still organic and word of mouth. So in those very, very early days, it was literally pitching each person. Um, we would go, like I said, to apartment buildings. We had connections with apartment buildings. They would let us do um like table displays we would do brunches and breakfasts we would 
we would we would literally like host like groups mummy and baby groups or we would do events i mean people started trying to book us as caterers they thought we were caterers <laughs> it was insane and we were flyering leafleting um you know, you'd spend 15 minutes with each person, maybe more having a full on conversation, they'd become a customer, and you'd start servicing them. And maybe they'd tell their neighbor, but it was, it was people think that you're just going to get a two or three people and suddenly everything's just going to grow organically. And that's just not true. The reality is, you got to go and back to politics. It's like canvassing. It's like door to door canvassing, you've got to go around and you've got to make your case. And back then, it was just a, you know, a handful of us, just two or three of us in the company that would that were doing that work um meeting people and get and we were ge- geographically confined as well so if you didn't live in one of my buildings you couldn't get the service in the in the beta period back in like june july of, of last year so uh we had to just convince people like give it a go um take a cookie uh you know <laughs> give you a month free like just try it out and in those early days still now but particularly in those early days you could provide a really personalized service we've still do handwritten notes in all of our customer baskets um right now and you know we're a radically different business but back then i mean i think i was writing books (laughs) and putting them into their into their grocery baskets and um just doing things that made them feel really special and made them know that we valued them because if i didn't have that early group we wouldn't exist. I, I I needed them to help me and help us to grow the business. And in those early days, I mean, we had folks that were just real believers. Still, we have folks that come in who are real believers. They will they will go out and they will find customers for you, and they will tell all of their friends about it, and they will lobby in their buildings to have it. And um, that's what you need early on. You need those folks who are going to go out there and like do the good work with you. Yeah. And it's about what you mentioned before too, like doing things that don't scale, especially early on, you have to do that. But then that is the foundation for what you're going to do going forward. And with your company too, with Zero, I'm curious with the logistical potential nightmares, starting off with like even product sourcing, how do you look at that and approach that issue? Um, yeah, I relied actually a lot on Sean at that time. We knew that we wanted to be a fully fledged store. So we didn't want you to think about us as just your produce grocer or just for like homewares. We wanted to be the solution and we are today the solution for anything and everything you need to buy in your home. The food you eat, the things that go in your kitchen cabinet, things that go in your bathroom cabinets. So we originally started off with 48 SKUs. Yep. We had a good understanding in the market of like what were the top selling items across many other stores from the research we could do online from talking to customers. We started to try to understand, okay, what do we think are the main things that people want? Um, And so we built this pretty diverse group of 48. So we had things like avocados, bananas and tomatoes the uh, and onions, like the largest, the fastest selling produce items, milk, eggs, bread, toilet paper a dish soap. These were the kind of early standards, but we also wanted to touch as many categories as possible. And so even now we are, like I said, about 650 items in the store, but we cover everything. Frozen, uh, what we call cold chain, all your dairy meats, deli meats, and meats that are fresh, not frozen, chicken and and beef and pork that is fresh, Um, produce, home, bath, beauty. We have it all today across the 600. And now we're really... um, doubling down on those categories but it was vital for the customer to think of us early on 
not as a supplementary service, but as something that very rapidly was where they went to buy anything and everything that they needed as opposed to a niche product. Grocery is a difficult market to penetrate. It's difficult to get high average order values, and it's difficult to get somebody to bring the share of basket over to you and shop with you. My average customer shops near enough four times a month with me today. That's basically once a week. And that's actually really tough to, to to crack and i'm doing that even today but only 600 items 600 650 items is not a fully fledged grocery store we believe you need about 2500 to be considered able to take 100 of what everybody needs to buy near enough week in week out um but just having that core 48 meant that we were a service that they were relying on more and more each week as we added more items. And then it was also like, what could we get, right? Like who was willing to work with us? What farm was willing to work with us? What producer or or partnership could we form? Because, you know, in the early days as well, you have to not only convince the customer, but you also have to convince the industry. Yeah. Because how many tomatoes am I buying in the early days? Like not many. Um, how many, you know, how many loaves of bread or how many, I don't know, milks or whatever it might be, right? Um, so there's a lot of uh, companies, folks, organizations that also have to kind of be on board for this journey early on as you kind of paint a picture for them of here's what next week is going to look like, but here's what the world is going to look like 12 months from now for us. And you need to be along for this ride with us. Yeah. And to that point of what the world looks like, we're, we're interviewing now in July of 2020. So COVID is very, mm-hmm. very well known in terms of being a, an issue. Mm-hmm. So how has that impacted the business? How has that changed things for you? um massively um it's you know it's a really sad difficult time for our team yeah it's normalized somewhat to be working in this environment but if i go back to like march march april like those early like march was a really tough time for us because on the one hand you're in shock at what is happening globally and you're looking at the community and you're seeing a community ravished by this pandemic but at the same time we have a huge responsibility to service folks and we felt very early on a huge responsibility to service the vulnerable service seniors service those who couldn't get out of their homes very early on so there was an there is and has been an opportunity for us to do right by our people and by our community and in those early days i don't know if you can remember but you know here i think i believe in la and um in the bay area in particular there were other services that I look up to who've been around for a long time who just didn't have any products. They didn't have any stock. You couldn't shop with them for like three weeks, four weeks, five weeks Jeez. out. They were completely sold out. And here we were with this half-baked technology that definitely wasn't ready to be deployed, rushing to get that technology up and running and recognizing that we had built something that fundamentally was changing the way the supply chain worked and suddenly I had product and I could do next day deliveries. It was insane. We have grown so fast. I mean, we 3X'd from February to March, but since February and it's now July, 2020, we 15X'd. (laughs) And I was asked this question by an investor yesterday. And um, if there was no COVID-19, we definitely would not have 15X'd. Maybe we would have 10X'd and that would have been hugely applauded in the industry, maybe. But to 15X insane. is just absolutely insane, where we didn't have systems built, we didn't have enough people. Like I said, the technology was, you know, we only launched, we only came off of Squarespace in January of 2020, to give you an understanding. We were on Squarespace <laughs> up until then. And it was a mad dash in, in in really like March, March, April to like 
ramp up and and continue meeting the demand because the problem wasn't capacity the problem wasn't demand it was capacity so people were literally figuratively speaking lining up for the service and we didn't have enough capacity we didn't have enough jars even the jar producers and silicone bag producers didn't have enough stock and i was trying to buy as many containers as was physically possible um I, we needed to hire people as quickly as possible and hiring in this environment is insane i mean folks have to turn up having never met you yeah to come and pick or pack or drive or whatever it might be and they're lining up outside six feet apart they're being temperature checked they're being literally put into a full hazmat suit with goggles and a mask just to enter our space just to like meet with us (laughs) and begin working on, on the line that day that very day so there were all these logistical challenges and i say you know i had barely been a peacetime ceo and now suddenly I was a wartime CEO. Thrust into and it, yeah. And now I, yeah, and I think I've been a wartime CEO long, probably longer than I've been a peacetime CEO at this point in time. Um, so everything was just different. And the other thing that was different is what customers connected to was emotion. So everything you knew about advertising and marketing, even now, has pretty much gone out the window. What people care about is the emotional tie they that they have to a company. Did you help me through this period as a company? Could I rely on you as a company during this period? Um, what are the values that you have as a company? Um, and and there's a, a bond that has happened, I think, between consumers and companies, um, or a bond that has broken during this period that is very very powerful and. You know, um, very early on, we were told again, but um, folks are using you now, but by, I don't know, May, June, this will all be over and everybody will go back to doing what they're doing. Um, But, you know, we have folks that have been shopping for five, six months, week in, week out that have relied on the service. And like I said, we have a real bond with those with those customers at this point. where, you know, I got them toilet paper and I got them groceries and I got them and there were value propositions that were resonating that I never saw coming. The, the people would write in and say, I love the fact that you deliver zero waste groceries. They're in jars. And I love the fact that the jars are wiped clean. And I like the fact that it's not coming from a regular grocery store, having been touched by many distributors and then many grocery store employees. Um, those were things I never anticipated at the time either. Yes, and knowing that with these customers that are loving this and using it for you know even in the last months and months, what are the changes from that early on doing things that don't scale to acquire customers to how do you look at that now with acquiring customers, especially as you've like fifteen x in the last number of months? Yeah, um, the one. So the reason that we started testing pay channels, testing them, is we had the luxury of not relying on pay channels. So a lot of D two C businesses. Uh, direct to consumer from day one like if you create a commodity product i don't know a new shoe or a new bag or a lipstick or whatever it might be from day one and if you're shipping nationwide as well you rely on paid marketing and growth right and that's what fully drives your business near enough i don't have that type of business i'm geographically confined firstly um, the delivery mechanism is very different because somebody is physically going to turn up to your door from from zero. It's not going to be some some secondary driver, um, or it's not going to be in the mail. Um, so we were growing very fast, but it meant that we could really aggressively test paid because we didn't rely on paid. Yeah, and we had somebody amazing come in on the growth front who had a lot of experience in the industry and really get to work on starting to test and look at you know, what was resonating. Um, 
and and how could we double down you know and this is you know there's weeks where we turn you know we've turned paid on we've turned paid off we've tried different <laughs> campaigns because the business is not relying on it to grow and when you do that you can really drive down the cost to acquire and you can really again understand how to target your customer again like if she is a young mum in her i don't know late 30s for example like what are the what are the things that resonate for her um if she lives in the bay area or she's of a particular demographic or she has particular concerns if it is i don't know a single guy of a particular age group of a particular you know tax bracket what it, how do you best go after that particular customer um to show them that, hey, I have the solution to the thing that you've been looking for. I have something that might be of interest to you. And that has served us really well to where now inevitably any business is, if you start out 100% organic, right, it's never going to remain 100% organic, right? right. Um, we've held on organic for the majority, a large piece of it for a long time, but there was always going to be this tipping point where we needed some paid or we were going to have to engage in paid. Um, and we've really used the last, yeah, four months to, to do that work and to do that, that testing. But, you know, we do other fun things. It's mostly Instagram stories, but we've just started doing fun things on TikTok, for example. Um, and seeing like, can we produce cool content and can we, you know, interact with folks on TikTok? Um, kind of back to the, even in the initial world of going to those apartment buildings, I remember wanting to do a mail campaign very, very early on, but we just couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford the paper <laughs> to put into all of the, because it's a lot of um, mailboxes. Like yeah. I wanted to do like cool pop-ups, right? Like you open like a card and it pops up or turns out those are really expensive. And so I couldn't do them. And so this was the first time where we were able to kind of double down on, on doing more, more, more things. And even now, like it's still a relatively, it's a very, very small budget, very, very small budget. Yeah. And with that though, with all those different growth strategies and, getting to this point two plus years in, I mean, what, what type of traction have you gotten at this point? You mentioned a little bit with some of the growth, but I'd be curious on like the traction at this point in July of 2020. Oh, I mean, well, we went from a business back in, in, in February that was doing in the, you know, um, you know, four digits to, um, you know, like certainly less than 10 K a month to now doing a business that's doing hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue a month in wow. just four months. So, um, <laughs> well, five months. And it's, yeah, it's just insane. Like, um, you know, we, all the targets that we had set, we were originally back in November, December of last year, 2019, we were setting targets for like December of 2020 that we had already met in April. I think it was like wow. AR, like run rate targets and like revenue targets. Um, so then it was like, oh, okay. Uh, what are the next three months then look like from this point? And a lot of that was driven through the combination of having a really good product during COVID. Yeah. And that's such an insane growth. The team, what's the team today? Is it the same? How big is the team at this point then? Um, we are only seven full-time folks. Um, so there's only seven of us that are the full-time core team. Um, and then we have other folks who, you know, do the driving piece of what we're doing. And then we have, you know, folks that are like picking and packing as well, who are part-time, um, but kind of core full-time, there are only seven of us today. Um, and in total, there's about 35 working on the product. Um, and we also are, you know, hybrid remote. We were already hybrid remote before COVID-19. So unless you work in the warehouse, unless you work on operations, you're remote. So if you're a designer, if you're an engineer, you work remotely. 
we'd built it like that purposefully at that time because again <laughs> i didn't have enough space yeah i just didn't have enough warehouse any inch of space i had i needed it for like the warehousing operation so i couldn't i just couldn't seat engineers <laughs> they would have to be sat next to a fridge or behind a fridge which just wasn't going to work so um we also focused um back in around january february time on looking for people that wanted to be remote and work remotely yeah, and I just want to kind of looking looking back now with with your company with Zero, you you have this idea for you're trying to yourself personally just use less plastics, single use plastics. You have an idea for this mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Get investors, get this point now where you're at a couple hundred thousand in, in revenue. Is it what you expected? Is it harder than you expected? Tell me, take me through like your mindset of getting to this point. Um, I feel just deeply proud honestly, of myself and of my team, I also feel a little bit of, well, this is what I said was going to happen. I told everybody. And, um, and this is really just the beginning. I don't think we've done anything yet. Like this really is just the beginning. Um, it's even just the beginning of feeling mildly vindicated. It's just very much the beginning. Um, and you know, if anything, I feel, I wish we could have gone harder and faster. I wish I could have raised money quicker than I raised money. Um, when I when I look against what's happened in the market and folks who in just this time had raised more money than me and are no and are no longer here, their companies are no longer here. Um, but you know, I just I feel proud, but I'm excited for like what's next. The work is not done, so there's no time to sit down and feel really anything <laughs> other than we've got to keep going or we got to keep pushing we're not building a a small business we're not building a a a small local business in the bay area we are building a nationwide solution for plastic-free groceries across the board and it's a venture scaling business it's scaling very fast it's designed to be like that um i didn't have any expectations of how how like what it would be like it has been really difficult i knew it would be difficult but until you're actually doing it and you're sweating right? Like you don't know what it's like until you're actually sweating in the moment, (laughs) but it's kind of like um, somebody can describe to you what it's like to drive a sports car. And then you get into the sports car and like, it's, even though they've described it to you driving at that speed and that kind of exhilaration, but fear you feel um, is, is, is only tangible in that moment. And that's really how it feels. I think as the founder, I, I guess I also I knew again I heard but I didn't really understand that my role really is primarily to stop the car from running out of fuel so that means fundraising um that's my kind of first key principle is to make sure the company is well capitalized and work out what capitalization looks like for us as a company then it's hiring predominantly just hiring and hiring and hiring because you've got to assemble a team and keep assembling that team and then thirdly it's vision um, vision and continuing to execute against that vision and therefore financial health of the company and operational health of the company. Those are really the four key areas um, that I touch on. And like I, I, I have said, um, I think I mentioned the other day to some friends, you know, there's people in this company who just, they just know more than I do about, you know, certain areas. It's designed to be like that. I rely on my team. I can't do it without my team. So I'm blessed to be the orchestra, to be to be the conductor of the orchestra, that's what I am. But they play the instruments, and they know how to play all of the instruments. Um, I'm just privileged to stand here and 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 try to conduct so that the music sounds the way it should, <laughs> and get through this kind of concerto. 
Yeah. And I'm excited for you to continue building this, for it to continue to grow. Uh, and I want to be respectful of your time. So where can people go to learn more about Zero, and then also get in touch with you if they need to? Yes. Uh, we are at zerogrocery.com. That's Z-E-R-O grocery.com. Um, check us out on IG, on Twitter, zero grocery underscore, that's zero grocery underscore. And I'm Zuleika at zero grocery.com. Z-U-L-E-Y-K-A. Perfect. And I'm, I'm sure we, I could ask a thousand more questions about this. We'll have to have a round two at some point, but thank you so much for the time today. <laughs> No, thank you. And you know, the the key is just like, get out there, like start something, do something, hack, build, just build, just, just do whatever you can to like start building something if that's what you want to do and see where it goes. It may work. It may not work. You can build something else, but just build. Yeah. I think from people hearing this, this story, they will be inspired to do so, especially with a company that's logistically complicated, but you're still just pulling it off and, and executing. And, and I love it so much. Folks, there's nothing you need except what is inside of you. You don't need any money. You don't need any funds. You can find all of that stuff. It's just whatever is inside of you is enough to build the thing you want to work on. Thank you so much, Zuleika. Thanks, Justin. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.